Today's reading is taken from the book of Amos, and it's the complete chapter 5, verses 1 to 27, and can be found on page 919 of the Bibles. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again. Deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire it will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast out righteousness to the ground, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. And you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, and you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners will wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. A serious and sober passage. We'll give our attention to that whole chapter in a few moments. Let's pray. Father, as we spend time in your word and thinking about what your word from many, many years ago says to us today, please would you, by the power of your spirit, speak clearly into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you sit, do please uh, grab your Bibles, uh, keep them open if they're still open uh, to the side of you, or reopen them, grab them, and turn back to Amos uh, chapter 5, 
Just a reminder, that's on page 919. And we're going to work through, um, through that chapter, just thinking about what it says, to, what it is saying to us. Around this church, there are um, a number of graves. I'm sure you've seen them. Maybe you've stopped to have a look at them and look at some of the inscriptions and the epitaphs on them. But I wonder, have you ever thought about what you might have on your own gravestone? Assuming, of course, that you have a gravestone and uh, that's the way uh, that you want your body to be dealt with after you have died. Here lies John Teasdale. Dot, dot, dot. I don't think about it a lot, I've got to be honest, but when I do, I think that I'd want people who are remembering me to recognise that I didn't live anything near a perfect life, but I'd hope they'd be able to describe it as faithful. Uh, I remember many, uh, many years ago uh, reading from Timothy, um, from 2 Timothy 4, 7, <coughs> excuse me, at my grandfather's funeral. Some of you will know that verse. It says, I fought the good fight, finished the race. I have kept the faith. And actually, many times since then, I have prayed that the Lord would enable me to do just that, to to, to keep the faith. Sometimes, though, people like to make a statement, don't they? They like to make a statement uh, with their their gravestones. So if you look at these, you'll see this is Frank Sinatra's on the top. You might have to look a a little closely, but it says above his name, uh, the best is yet to come. (laughs) You can see what he's he's saying there. Uh, uh, Maybe slightly more irreverent uh, beneath him is the gravestone of Spike Milligan, uh, the comedian. And uh, I've highlighted there uh, what he said, but you've got to read Gaelic to be able to read it. We don't want to put it in, in, in English, but this is what it says. It says, I told you I was ill. <laughs> well, what about these? Here lies good old Fred, a great big rock fell on his head. <laughs> and then the bottom one, I don't think this one's real, the bottom one, um, but it says, in memory of Louisa Worthington, wife of Ray Worthington, rest in peace, my love. Now we will both get some. (laughs) They're funny, no? Slightly funny. Uh, But as we turn to Amos 5, the contrast could not be sharper. Amos is thinking about the end. He's thinking about funeral. He's thinking about end times. But there's nothing to laugh about here in Amos chapter 5. It's actually tragic. Amos invites um, Israel to her own funeral, actually. Um, That's what he's doing. If you look down at verse 1 of uh, of chapter 5. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament. It's a word of lament at a funeral. I take up concerning you. Fallen is the virgin Israel, never to rise again. Deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. Desperate, the young, the secure, the prosperous, the the full of life Israel is invited to hear God's epitaph on her gravestone. And it is not good. Throughout the course of this chapter, Amos is effectively saying, here lies Israel, 
fallen, faithless, phony, heartless. Can you imagine that being written in stone about you? Here lies John Teasdale, faithless. He gave up when it all got too difficult. Here lies Mike Smith, hypocrite. Said one thing on a Sunday. I'm not making this isn't you know <laughs> this isn't what you want, is it? Says one thing on a Sunday, but actually Monday to Saturday, very different. Here lies fill in your own name. Here lies your name, callous. Just concerned with feathering their own nest. No regard for what's going on in other people's lives. How they're being treated. Remember the context here. Amos is writing to the people of Israel in the middle of the 8th century before Christ. It's a period of peace, a period of prosperity like no other in history. On the face of things, Israel was safe. They were successful. They thought they'd never been healthier economically, military, even spiritually. They'd never had it so good to coin that phrase. But it's like Amos is on the Titanic as it sails out of Southampton. And he's standing there and he's calling out to anyone who will listen to him. This ship is going to go down. You're all going to die. Change course. Change course now. Of course, no one listens. They're all having the time of their lives on the ship. They're enjoying it. This unsinkable ship. One of them even dared to say, didn't they? Not even God could sink this ship. But the iceberg was coming closer and closer. And Israel struck her iceberg of judgment, if you like, in 722 when she fell to the Assyrians. But at this point, at this point in Amos, that is, that is um, a still a future event. And yet Amos is preaching as if it's already happened. Look at verse 2 again. Look at verse 2 again. What tense is, is Amos using in verse 2? What tense is he using there? It's a past tense, isn't it? Fallen is virgin Israel never to rise again. Deserted in her own land. With no one to lift her up. This is a terrible lament. The word virgin here is speaking of a premature death. She's, she's got so much potential in the land that God had promised to Abraham. In the land that God had given to them through Moses and Joshua. What was supposed to be their inheritance and their refuge was now was going to be ransacked and, and, and ruined. It was to become their grave. So much unfulfilled potential and promise. And I wonder maybe is God saying something similar to us? Could that be said of us? We've been struggling, haven't we, these last few weeks to see how much hope you can find in Amos's words as you go through these chapters. Imagine if you'd been hearing him at the time, you'd have dismissed him as a doom and gloom crackpot. But actually there is hope. And we get a few glimpses of it here in chapter 5. Let me just draw your attention to it now so that you're alert to it as we go on. First up is verse 3. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, verse 3 of chapter 5. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. You say, John, how is that hope? How is that hope? I mean, yes, it's dire, isn't it? It's it's a, a picture of military humiliation, total defeat. But it's notable, actually, it's not total defeat. This is what it's notable for. It's notable for the fact that it is not complete annihilation. 
There is a remnant here who survives. There is hope. Second glimpse of hope here is verse 4. Take a look at verse 4, which says, seek me and live. And verse 6, seek the Lord, it's just over the page, seek the Lord and live. In other words, there is an alternative. There is a way to course correct. There is a way of life now that can change your future destiny. What is that way of life? If you look down to verse uh, 24. 24. We didn't quite get there earlier, but verse 24 says this. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. We've just been singing that in our song. And the more observant of you uh, will have noticed that this is the verse we've used as inspiration for the title of this series. There it is. That's the slide. Amos. Ordinary man, extraordinary message, that extraordinary message that roars from the mouth of God, the creator God. What is that message cast positively? Let justice and righteousness flow. That's why we've got the image of the waterfall there. This river of justice rolling on, flowing on, never ending. I mean, we've been hearing, haven't we, over these last few weeks, how God's people refused to act like God's people. They refused to let justice and righteousness flow. Instead, they exploited and they oppressed. They were merciless. They lied and they broke their promises. They misused God's good gift of sex. They killed unborn uh, children in the womb. They were full of revenge. They rejected God's word. They suppressed the truth. These are the judgments that go on, not just for Israel, but the nations around as well. And as we heard last week, they turned to rely on themselves, making up their own religion and indulging only themselves. No wonder the lion roars. No wonder the voice of God thunders out. And at the heart of Amos's message both uh, physically here in the middle of the book if you like but also spiritually speaking what the lion is roaring about is the cry for justice and righteousness to characterize his people do they characterize you do they flow from me How the people of God act, how we behave is so, so important. And this is the problem that Amos is driving it. We see see it writ large in verses 21 and uh, 23. So have a look down to 21 and 23. This is what he says. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. The problem is unacceptable worship. Worship that is unacceptable worship. To God. Can you imagine Amos preaching those words to us today? I hate the way you celebrate Christmas and Easter. I can't stand your Sunday morning services. 
Even though you take communion and recite your confessions, I won't accept it. Stop your singing. Turn off the keyboard. I'm not listening. Does that help? Does that help you imagine how the Israelites must have felt? And the obvious question they must have asked, and the obvious question we must ask, is why? Why, Lord, is this worship considered unacceptable? What is, it, what is it about what we do in our gatherings and meetings that so upsets you? And God replies through these words of Amos. You're just pretending. You're just playing. You don't really mean it. You say one thing on a Sunday, you behave one way in public worship, but actually you live very differently the other six days of the week because your heart is a million miles away from what you say. Before we go any further, I think we really need to get straight what we mean by worship, by this word worship. When I say uh, worship, what's the first thing that, that you think of? I wonder what the first word that comes into your mind is. For most of us, I'm willing to take a punt that you're thinking something musical. You're thinking singing. You're thinking praise. We say, and now for a time of worship, don't we? Or, or the musicians are going to lead us in worship. We sang a song this morning, our first song. I love it. Come, now is the time to worship. Well, music is worship, but it's only part. It's only part of worship. Some of us hear that word worship and we think, well, we, we think actually maybe of what we're doing here. We think of the church service. We think we've come to public worship. We've gathered together. We're, we're listening to God's word. We are singing, but we're praying and we're doing this stuff together. And that's worship. And that's right. That is worship. But that is, again, it is just a part of worship. We get a proper, a godly, a biblical understanding of worship from Romans. Just turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 12 um, in your Bibles. Romans 12. I think it's page 1139. Romans 12, there we are, 1139, just the first verse. Therefore I urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters, we could say it is inclusive there, or open to be inclusive, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We want our worship to be spiritual, don't we, in tune with the Spirit, Our spiritual worship, our true worship, our biblical worship, our godly worship is to use our bodies all of the time. In other words, you know, when when we do that, when we use them in every different situation, this is true spiritual worship. When we're singing, yes, and when we're not singing. When we're gathered in public, yes, but also when we're at home in private. Everything, all of the time, is worship, or should be. Because whether you're at work, or whether you're in the shops, whether you're driving the car, you know what goes on when we drive the car when we see everyone else on the streets, don't we? How we choose to spend our money, what we look at, what we watch, what we listen to, 
what our attitude to our studies are, how we interact with family members and friends, particularly those who drive us nuts. It's all a chance, is it not, to worship God by showing him how much our hearts are primarily captured by him and how that changes how we live. And it is always, always, always time to do that. It is not a time to worship over here and a time not to worship over here. That's the danger of of that kind of language. So although God is calling out their phony meetings and their gatherings, the principle here extends much further. And in this chapter, Amos begins to reveal three ways, I think, in which worship becomes unacceptable to God. So let's just have a think about those three ways that worship can be unacceptable. Firstly, worship is unacceptable when it ignores truth, when we ignore truth. Take a look at verse 10 of Amos 5. We're back to Amos 5, page 920. Take a look at verse 10. It says this, You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. These people had given up on truth. This is what happened. It was no longer important to them. They were no longer concerned by it. They'd stopped living by it, by what they knew to be right. And I wonder, what truths do we give up on? Or are we in danger of giving up on? Maybe we doubt that God's word is reliable. Maybe we doubt that we can trust it. Maybe we question whether some of it is even real. Maybe we suppress truth by lying about our sin as we try to justify it. It wasn't really adultery, Lord. My eye just lingered slightly longer than normal. That's all that happened. It wasn't really anger, Lord. In fact, it was, it was righteous anger. And, 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 and I, it was right what I said to him and, and, and how I said it. He deserved it. He needed to be taught a lesson. wasn't really slander, Lord. It was important that they knew what he'd done so that they could pray about it. Sometimes it's even more blatant, isn't it? And we redefine God's truth. We don't just try and excuse it. We redefine it. I remember when I was younger reading the truth in Ephesians that says, don't get drunk on wine, which will lead you into sin and ruin your life. And I redefined it. I thought, well, if it doesn't lead me into sin and it doesn't ruin my life, it's okay. Stupid, isn't it? It's ignoring truth. It's redefining truth. And this isn't just an individual thing. Sometimes, regretfully, painfully, a whole church can ignore truth and try to redefine or reinterpret or to use more sophisticated nonsense, develop truth. To say exactly, actually, the opposite of what it means. Did God really say that the only place for sexual activity is in a marriage between one man and one woman for life to the exclusion of all others? Did God really say that? No, 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 that's not what he meant. What he really meant is that you can do what you want with you, whom you want, as long as you're sort of committed and you kind of love them. Enough, God says. Enough, enough redefining, enough excusing, enough minimizing of the truth. 
because when you do, your worship is unacceptable to me. And there will be consequences. There will be consequences. Secondly, worship is unacceptable when we lack compassion. When worship lacks compassion, it becomes unacceptable to God. Look what happened when Israel ignored the truth in verse 11. Verse 11 says, you trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. This was typical of the brand of justice that was being meted out in Israel. The poor were being forced to to give up their grain as a form of tax. And so they were told, look, don't, sorry, it's the law. It's it's on our side. It's just what it is. You know, it's, it's not personal. You just have to pay up. As if laws are always yardsticks of morality. It's kind of an institutionalized exploitation, if you like. And what God is saying, in effect, is that you can't come in here and sing praises to God and say your prayers and then walk out of that door there and not be concerned, as Mike shared with us last week, about the homeless man on the street. He's saying you can't sing your prayers in, in, in here and again walk out of that door and have zero compassion on what you know to be going on around you with exploitation. You can't sing praises in here and not be moved by the hundreds of thousands of people in Turkey and Syria grieving their lost ones, trying to survive with nothing, just the clothes on their backs in sub-zero temperatures. You see, genuine followers of the one true God are compassionate in every circumstance that they know about. Of course, there are things that we don't know about, but we can only deal with what the Lord reveals to us. And we cannot turn a blind eye and act um, without compassion in those circumstances. Our worship is unacceptable when we ignore the truth. When we lack compassion And thirdly, when we minimise guilt. Unacceptable worship minimises guilt. This is verse 12. For I know how many are your offences, and I know how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. These are pretty heinous accusations. But the thrust of this verse seems to be that God knows exactly what they've done wrong. Exactly. They don't. They seem not to. Either because their consciences have become so numb to their wrongdoing, or because in their preoccupation with themselves, they have overlooked others. Or they have omitted to do something. And they've hurt and exploited and oppressed in the process. And the same can be true of us too, can't it? That's why sometimes when we pray our prayers of confession, we ask for forgiveness for the things, don't we, for the things that we have done and for the things that we have left undone. Sins of commission, the things that we have done. Sins of omission, the things that we have not done. It's an attempt, at least in part, to recognise that sometimes we sin by what we don't do. And we leave undone by what we ignore and what we sometimes pretend isn't happening. Friends, the problem is worship that ignores truth, that lacks compassion and minimises our guilt. And the consequences of this, says Amos, are unimaginable. 
They're unimaginable. Take a look at verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. They'll be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. We're back in lament territory in this part of Amos 5. This is a picture of national mourning. I wonder if you can cast your minds back just to those incredible images we saw last year when Her Majesty the Queen passed. You know, do you remember seeing those pictures as, she, as the hearse was brought from Balmoral down to Edinburgh? And then on the plane down to RF Northolt and then again in the hearse from RF Northolt to the centre of London. It seemed as if everybody stopped, didn't it? There were crowds everywhere. But if you look closely, that wasn't quite the case. Because you could see on the other side of the road that the traffic was still moving. We were only looking at one part of our country, and actually much was still going on everywhere else. Life seemed to go on, even though we were sort of collectively, metaphorically holding our breath at that moment. But that's not the case here in Amos 5. There is total national mourning in all the streets every public square all the vineyards because the consequences of this death are unimaginably bad for everyone and in fact Amos can only say what it's like and so he describes it in verse 19 he said it will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear and as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him in other words you say you long for this day of the Lord but you have no idea what it will be like it's going to be a day of total unavoidable disaster you're out you meet a lion you get away from the lion then what happens you meet the bear I've got away from the bear then what happens I get back home great my hands on the side I'm resting and the serpent gets me it's unavoidable it's a day verse 20 of darkness and not light pitch dark without a ray of brightness it's terrible and for Israel it's a picture of terrifying unavoidable inevitable calamity and we have to ask again, are we any different? Are the, are, are, are the people of, of England any different? According to a 2018 poll by Comres, over 80% of the UK population doesn't believe in hell or that there will come a time when Jesus returns to judge us all. You probably expect that though, right? 80% sounds about right, doesn't it? Living in complete Rebellion and ignorance of God. But according to the same survey, only 60% of practicing Christians believe in a real hell. Just over half of practicing Christians believe in a real hell. Mercifully more, about 80% believe Jesus is coming back to judge in some way, but quite what he does to judge and what happens when he judges, if only half of us, or just over half of us believe in a real hell, is open to interpretation there, isn't it? But these statistics should make us weep. Unimaginable pain and judgment 
will come because of unacceptable worship. Everybody worships something. And as we heard a few weeks ago, all will be held to account. So is there any hope? Is there any hope here? Well, yes, there is. Even here, as I highlighted earlier, there are glimmers. And in effect, Amos says the solution is this. It is to repent and to be real. Amos says repent and be real. Following God faithfully always involves repentance. It involved a new way of living in Amos' time for the Israelites and it involves one for us now. It's about a change of direction. It's a change of objective, if you like, from that to that. It's a change of heart, motivated by a change of heart. And it's proactive, it's not passive. So if you look at verse 4, turn back over the page to verse 4. The Lord says, seek me, at the end of verse 4, and live. Do not seek Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba. They're all special, they're all significant places, but importantly, they're not God. Don't go looking there. Seek me. The point here is that they needed to reject something that was stopping them, seeking the one thing, the one person that mattered. And then look again at verse 14 and 15, back over the page. This is my paraphrase. But it is, it's repent, it's change, it's seek good, love good, don't seek evil. Seek good, love good, seek God, don't love evil, hate it, change, repent, turn around. And for this kind of repentance it's absolutely crucial that we know what good and evil is, isn't it? And to know that, we're back to know, to know to whether we're denying or accepting the truth in God's word. It's all about God's word. Make no mistake, friends, this is why the Church of England is in such a desperately serious and precarious position at present. As it makes provision to formally love and bless what God does not call good. But sin... But even now, as we read in Amos 5, perhaps the Lord will have mercy. Even now, to quote the later prophet Joel, if you return to me with all your heart, declares the Lord, even now you will be restored. How we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in senior leadership in our church at this time. The solution is always repentance. And then it's about being real, authentic, honest, as we go on the journey. I don't know how many of you have heard of the Be Real app. Have you heard of that? Be Real? If you've not, and you've younger members in your family, you need to know about it. If you've not got younger members in your family, you're going to hear about it. Uh, This is the app. It's an app that was released a few years ago. Uh, It only, I think, gained a massive sort of following last year sometime. It certainly increased in popularity. And basically what happens if you download this app once a day, uh, you will get a prompt asking you to be real. (laughs) Be real. And what you're supposed to do to be real is to take an unfiltered photograph using both your front-facing camera and your uh, normal-facing camera, if you like, your face-facing and your your front-facing, and just take a picture there and then of what you're up to. 
and you just get to share that uh, with your friends. So there you go, there's my first Be Real uh, last night as I set up the app. <laughs> that's me, uh, you can just about make me out uh, with my glasses on, and that's me looking at my computer screen working on this sermon. You can see what they were trying to do, though, in making this app, can't you? It's a reaction against this heavily edited, this false version of ourselves that gets presented on social media platforms like Facebook and Insta and all the rest of them. And do you know what? In a way, sort of, kind of, (laughs) in a way, this is what true biblical worship should be like. Because if you were to get a be real worship prompt from God once a day, at a time you didn't know it was going to come and hit you. Would you, in all honesty, be able to respond and say to God, Yes, Lord, here I am worshipping you on my coffee break. Yes, Lord, here I am worshipping you with my internet search history. Yes, Lord, here I am worshipping you in the way that I treat my staff uh, or my clients. Yes, Lord, here I am worshipping you, trying to worship you. I'm failing, but trying to worship you in how I relate to my family and my friends. Here I am, Lord, trying to worship you when only you and me know what's going on. Be real. Be real. Being real, according to Amos 5, is not about being true to yourself. Uh, you know, or just doing whatever it is that you want to do and satisfying yourself. That's not the kind of be real that we're talking, or that Amos 5 is certainly talking about. The sort of being real, the reality that Amos 5 is talking about, are these two things. Seeking God and serving others. Be real in your worship. Seek God and serve others. Look again at verse 4 and 14. Verse 4. Seek me and live. And live, God says. Verse 14, seek good that you might live. So that you can serve others. Verse 24, through that pursuit of justice. And righteousness. Seek God, serve others. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Have we heard that before? Do you remember once Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Do you remember his answer? He replied, Love God with everything. Love him with everything. Seek him. But don't forget the second part, he said, love others too. Serve. All the law, Jesus said, and the prophets, well, Amos, all the law, all the prophets depend on it. Seek God, love God. Serve others, love others. This is true, keeping it real, acceptable worship. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. In my personal devotions this week, I have just finished reading through Hebrews. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to read the end of chapter 12 
and the beginning of 13 as a prayer as we finish. So if you want to turn to it, please just turn to Hebrews uh, 12 and 13. It's page 1211. And let me just pray, because I think this speaks very much into what is acceptable worship for us. Let's pray. I'm starting right at the end of chapter 12, verse 28. Father, we thank you that we are recipients of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we ask with gratitude that you would help us to worship you in an acceptable manner, reverently and full of awe knowing exactly what kind of God you are like. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to keep on loving each other, that you would help us to practice hospitality, that you would help us to remember those who are ill-treated and suffering, that you would help each one of us to, 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 to avoid sexual immorality and protect the God-given gift of marriage. Father, please keep our lives free from money and help us to be content with what we have. Thank you for the promise that you are with us. And Father, we remember our leaders. We so long long to want to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. But Lord, we pray that their lives would be based on the truth of your word. Jesus Christ doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And we praise you for that. And so, Lord, finally, we pray that we would not get carried away by all kinds of strange and diverse and weird teachings. Help our worship to be acceptable to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.